Hello and welcome to another classic Wow with Mao podcast. We've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to talk about the patch that just hit this week that brought us a Rathy Basin holiday weekends as well as a bunch of other changes. We're going to be talking about a time in the history of wow that aligns a lot with what's going on right now in the real world and we're going to be interviewing the first high warlord on the server of grobulus speak and as always we'll be talking about the news on the server of grobulus but before we get going today how are you doing myth i'm doing great uh it's been a, a pretty awesome week we've been doing some rathy basin a little bit not as much because of warsong weekend but it's uh it's it's fine it's nice to have all three battlegrounds out. Yeah, I am definitely happy to have all three and even though I haven't done as much Arathi Basin this week as I was anticipating, it's been nice to jump in. I've done a few pug Arathi Basins. They've been fun. I've got some kills. I've been killed. We've done the whole thing. And ultimately, it just feels right that Arathi Basin is in the game and that it's an option. It's been fun to jump in with some people that I've known as well. But one thing that's been sort of interesting is even before Warsong Weekend kicked in, the meta still seemed to be Warsong Gulch, at least for the moment. Yeah, there are certainly some pre-made groups that are going for a quick rep in, uh, in AB. Um, I ran into several of them while I was solo queuing, and we got rolled. Because, like, the best way to get rep in AB is definitely to 5-cap. The rep ticks roll in super fast if you can have, if you have 4 or 5 uh, zones held. And, I, I mean, I've run into several, like, full rank 12-plus groups in Arathi Basin. Yeah, I think the dynamic is a little bit different between the Horde and the Alliance in this case, where Alliance has been pretty fortunate to enjoy instant queues, they kind of get to pick and choose where they want to go Warsong or Arathi Basin. Horde have seen the Warsong queue shorter just yet, so they've kind of still been mostly looking at Warsong as the primary spot for honor, although Arathi Basin is definitely in play. And like you said um, before, if you're getting those five caps, you're getting such quick rep ticks that it really makes a lot of sense to stay there and get some of the great rewards that come with Arathi Basin. I've found that while I've been in there, the games are actually taking a little bit longer than I remember when they're close. When you're having these two versus three cap situations, they're running about 20-30 minutes long, which is, I would say, on the higher end of most war songs, but certainly not like the tip, like the tip of the worst war songs you could possibly run into. Yeah, I think that I think that half an hour for a Rathy Basin is like perfectly reasonable. Right? Like if you're having a really close game, yeah, you're you know, you're capping, you're defending. It's just it's fun. There's a lot of stuff to do in that thirty minute time period, and even though you're not getting the best honor per hour, and you're certainly not getting great rep, I don't know why, but it feels like having two or three caps, your rep is like pretty bad. It really seems like like you're only really getting rep from four or five caps. It still doesn't feel bad though at, at half an hour. It's like there's a lot of fun. It's a, lots of action going on. It's never you're never in the situation where it's like a stalemate where like they have too many healers defending a, a flag carrier, and like both the flag carriers are sitting like bunkered in a base, and you can't you can't you never feel like you always feel like you're getting somewhere. It's one of the nice things about the design of a Rathi Basin is that just by 
nature of the game and how many players are in it, you're going to have to spread your defenses thin somewhere on the map, and it's always going to leave somewhere else vulnerable. I often look at the map and I see, like, if we're just getting attacked at a point, my first thought is to always look at where the most vulnerable point is that they have so that we can settle the score or see if we can do a split attack and take two for one that they just used resources to get ours. There's so many options in Arathi Basin and it also has gotten us back to this PvP and winning the PvP matches is a huge part of your success in Arathi Basin. And while there is a little bit of like flag rushing and making sure that you get in there in enough time, the main thing that matters is if you win a spot, if you beat that PvP match right there, you're going to get the cap and you're going to own that spot for a little while until you get knocked off the hill. And that's a pretty satisfying switch of gameplay. When we've been playing Warsong, which is a little bit more fluid, it has more plays that don't necessarily involve winning the PvP match, but you know, maybe sometimes more board awareness, sacrificing yourself at the right time for a good warp, uh, maybe just hamstringing three or four people to tie them up so they can get away from the flag carrier. Different dynamics at pl in play in Arathi Basin. Yeah, I agree. War good Warsong games feel like they're a lot more consumable based too. Like you feel like you're using you're going through rocket boots, you're going through swiftness pots and faps and and all these different consumables to to really give your your team the edge over the the opposing team where consumables definitely can come into play in in basin, but it is a lot more like making a cool play. Like when you notice, you know, they've they've committed 10 people to try and push the ba blacksmith. If you can sneak with with like one or two players, capture the stables, suddenly they're respawning at the mine instead of the stables and their their reinforcements are just screwed like it's there's a lot of really great things that can happen I, arathi basin has just always been my favorite battleground uh i think there are a few that even even after even after classic that they've introduced that have been as fun or as like well balanced as arathi basin yeah, I've always been a huge Arathi Basin fan myself, and it's for that very reason too. Like you said, the dynamic gameplay, and the, there's so many different ways to approach it and play it. Whereas, there's definitely considered to be a cookie-cutter comp to Warsong Gulch. What you can do in a match in Arathi Basin is a lot more open. There's so many more combinations that can work, just because of the nature and the free-flowing style of the match. In addition to Arathi Basin coming out, we had the holiday weekends are now in effect. As of we uh, are talking right now, Warsong Gulch is in effect, and you're getting double rep and honor for that through Monday. Um, we are also getting the, uh, this is not patch related, but the Dark Moon Fair is out for the month after today. So if you have anything there to do, go do that. Back to the patch, uh, there were also some bug fixes. You should be very excited to hear that Thunder Fury is now going to be glowing a little bit brighter. Myth? Yeah, it, it was, I logged in and I was like, why does it seem like there's a bug going on? I didn't even, I didn't see that patch note before it happened. But it, I logged in and was like confused because my sword was like glowing more than usual. And I was like, hmm. But yeah, they did the same thing to Perdition's Blade and I think a couple other models also. Yeah, well, they actually lessened it for Paladin and Warlock mounts. So I guess they gave some of that glow to the Thunder Fury and the Perdition's Blade. Also in this patch, 
Um, harvesting nodes that have been on zone lines, which have been kind of problematic, are going to be a little bit more reliable according to the patch notes. And this is a big one. While not vanilla, I think this is gonna mostly just be a good quality of life change. When you're entering a raid that has an active lockout, you will now be getting a warning letting you know not to get accidentally saved to it. I think this is a big, uh, very important change and really just a good quality of life that doesn't hurt the fabric of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked about uh, certain things that they could change that wouldn't really affect the classic no changes hashtag because technically it is a change, but it's not a change that really changes how the game is intended to be played or how it was originally designed. It's just a quality of life change that's going to prevent tickets from being opened, especially because that change specifically causes dozens, if not hundreds of tickets to immediately just be fixed, right? Because now, now when you get saved to a raid that, that was already opened there's going to be no there there will be no ticket response for it. Blizzard will say, "Hey, that you had you were given the option to say no, I don't want to get saved to this raid, teleport me out." It's it just saves them and their their customer support a great deal of time and effort from having to continually tell people you know, the mixed responses. I mean, we talked in an episode earlier about how our alt group got saved by accident and we got split, and then some of the responses were positive and some were negative. This just alleviates that completely. Absolutely. And this is just, one again, one of those things that it's frustrating when it happens to you. And everybody never thinks it's going to happen to them until it does. It's one of the worst feelings you can possibly have if you do accidentally do this. And it's just going to save so many tickets and a lot of grief from the players. Ultimately, I'm in favor of this one. We can also look forward to an issue with Nefarian momentarily flying away after revealing his true form. Um, I don't remember the specifics of it, but I know there was something that wasn't quite right about this that is now going to be functioning more normally. And this is a big one for the PvP community. Honorless targets are now immune to mind control. And this one was met with some mixed responses from the community who were maybe feeling like this actually did breach upon no changes, maybe more so than like say the raid lockout did. So as a as a, uh, a now former High Warlord, rest in peace, Mao, um, how, how does this, how do, what do you think about that change? Because I don't, I don't really know. I, I have never played a priest, so the, the whole who who gets mind controlled thing is kind of weird. But B, like, what does that actually do? Like, I I don't I don't understand the real point of that change. So the issue has been people with mind control, and this can generally be a priest or someone with a mind control cap can hang out at a flight point and mind control somebody, have them attack something to remove their honorless target, drop mind control, and then kill them. And that particular action has been called not fair. It's been kind of a actionable thing if you get caught in the act. And that's the stance that Blizzard had taken in a blue post at some point in time. Now it's been completely removed. It has gotten some response from players saying like, hey, well, what about sheep? And, you know, some of these other things. 
it's very close. You know, sheeping somebody until honorless target wears off is very similar. What I would say are there are some more ways that you can circumvent sheep than there are mind control. And I think that that's where the distinction is probably at. But one way or another that this was something that, again, GMs were actioning people for and Blizzard probably just went, you know what, we're just we're not going to deal with the tickets on this one. Yeah, I I mean, that behavior seems a little bit degenerate, like using mind control to get rid of Onalus target early. So I don't necessarily think that that's a huge a huge negative change. But as someone who uh who isn't like uh, like dying for every ounce of honor possible to try and get through a high warlord grind, I don't I don't really know if I have a fair a fair judgment call on that. Like it affects me less than it would affect some people. Although, again, at the same time, like, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I've said in the past that, like, I think there should be bigger penalties for trying to kill honorless targets because it's also kind of de degenerate. Well, and I think that this is where, like, obviously anybody that's done a high warlord grind knows that going out and, especially if you're horde side, it's been a different experience for the alliance who have enjoyed quicker queues. But... World PvP has continued to be a part of the Horde meta for the entirety of Classic to this point. And getting those kills in the world is definitely important. I think most of us were more cutthroat in the world while we were grinding than we would be otherwise. And this is one of those things where I feel like we could probably cut the losses on the mind control honor. We really could. And just let honorless targets give themselves a fair stance because really at the end of the day and one of the reasons why i felt like even though i loved the world pvp phase why i felt like at a certain point it had to go is because once it gets so systematic that everybody's just camping flight points you're starting to take away a lot of the spontaneity and good parts of world pvp yeah it it, it definitely i will admit to like the pve player in me has been very frustrated several times when like I'm going to do some herbing in, like, the Plague Lands, and I can't get away from the flight path because I'm just getting camped by people. Like, that's incredibly frustrating. So, I think more, like, a more balanced version of the, uh, of the world PvP is probably better anyway. I was happy to see the Warsong meta where at least world PvP for me was maybe a little bit more optional. Um, I still did it because it helped me get honor quicker at the end of the day, right? And I don't want to be spending maximum time getting honor. I wanted to be spending minimum time getting honor. And so it was still a part of the puzzle, but it was really nice when it became a lot more optional. And I feel like these types of changes are hopefully going to promote the good types of world PVP that we actually do want people partaking in, which is like fighting over a resource node or going for the same mob or a quest objective or those types of things. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what, what it really should be. So with that being said, we're going to take a quick look at a time in Vanilla WoW that is mimicking a lot of the reports that we're getting in the real world right now. And I think a lot of you already know I'm talking about the infamous ZG Plague event that happened on a fateful September 13th in 2005. For those of you who are unfamiliar with this event, we have Zolgarub coming out 
next month so we can look forward to being able to do this encounter. One of the encounters, the boss, Hakar, put a debuff on the players called Corrupted Blood, which could be spread to other players in the instance. Players quickly found out, though, that it could be preserved on pets and brought out into the world to spread the plague throughout Azeroth, creating what has been, to this day, one of the most unique, interesting, and quite frankly, divisive opinions on what even happened in the game that has even spurred research on it. This has been one of the most fascinating things that ever happened. And I was very fortunate at the time to be a working member of the Game Master staff and got to see a little bit of the insides of the trenches that was going on during this pandemic. So, uh, Myth, what do you know or remember about the plague of Vanilla WoW? So I want to I want to start by saying I don't think originally it was intended like I don't think they took it out of of ZG as a like an intentional thing. I think uh, the the hunter pet that originally infected everybody did it by accident. But at the same time, um, it was I mean, it was incredibly interesting. And, and you, you touch base on the fact that like a like happening in the real world with the whole like coronavirus right now. But B, um it's one of the like best models that scientists who focus on infectious disease have had to really compare what would happen in a, in a situation like this. Um, I mean, obviously there are a small number of people who are maliciously spreading it around, but when the plague originally happened, the problem was this debuff, which would jump from player to player or from friendly target to friendly target didn't do damage to NPCs. So the reason it was actually super duper bad is just like in a real world scenario, all of the NPCs in WoW that got infected by this plague would have it forever, but wouldn't take damage from it. So they wouldn't they wouldn't leave the population. They effectively became asymptomatic carriers. So whenever a player would go beside them, the player would then get, you know, they'd get infected by this and infect more players and more players and more players. And this lasted for almost a week before it was hotfixed, to the, to the tune of most of the world was infected. Like every like people weren't purposefully infecting NPCs in every town possible, so there was nowhere that players could go that was safe. And that's sort of I mean that's again that's sort of translating to what we're what we're seeing or what we're predicting seeing um, with this with this real world scenario. That's like actually that's actually happening right now. Like whether or not it's going to be that bad, or I mean, it's it's hard to tell. Well, one of the things that was fascinating to me was how players' reaction to it in the game mimicked the type of reactions that people have in a panic. Right? There were a group of people in game that were trying to do their best to help the efforts. There were people that were healing people. There were offering reses that were offering disease cures to try and get rid of it. There were people that were trying to self-quarantine. There were people that were trying to spread it. There were people that were trying to tell people, no, don't go over there. It's infected. You're going to die if you go over there. All of these are different behaviors that we see out of people when we have these types of things happen in the real world. And that's why I think it made a model that 
People wanted to study to see if there was anything of value that they could take from this experience that we had in a video game. The other thing that was fascinating about it to me is that like was mentioned before, this was not something that Blizzard had planned or ever even thought was possible. So their response to it was a little bit like the player response in that they didn't have an idea of what to do. From my perspective, when I went in to work that morning, I was working on the morning shift at the time and my start time for the day was six in the morning. I was roommates with somebody that was on the overnight shift that ended at seven in the morning. And so we had about an hour of crossover and before I could even step into the building, he rushed out and said, you are not going to believe what is going on right now. It is insane. There's never been anything like this. It is crazy and we have no idea what to do about this. And it was panic, right? People are running all over the place. They're going, hey, what do I do with this person? I have this person saying that. Eventually, we were quarantining people up in the air. The lead GMs were doing this and the lower level GMs like myself were just doing the best to assure everybody that we were aware, we're doing this and we're taking this on a one at a time basis, but we're getting there and trying to do anything that we could to help stop the spread of it. Well, I think the the idea itself of this of this blood plague spreading around Azeroth, especially in a video game, and especially when it happened back in, what, it was 2005. I, like, I don't think anything's happened since since then, world event-wise, that's been that interesting, right? Because, like, most world events are planned. So, like, nothing happens at random, or nothing happens that's out of the control of even the developers. So the idea of this happening in a video game I think is one of the reasons why it's so interesting because it wasn't intended. There were no like guidelines. There were no outlines like the plague wasn't going to end eventually, or there wasn't going to be a phase where the you know such and such happened. It was literally just this is horrible, and we like no one no one really knew what to do. So like the the in game communities that were setting up to to try and actually help people or to you know people who are trying to set up like very secluded societies and like use different towns as hubs because they weren't infected that was that was interesting because it was organic and it was and it was unintended like there was no there wasn't an outline beforehand that i think makes this possibly among the most interesting things that's happened in a video game Yeah, the response to from the players from our perspective as game masters at the time was hilarious because they were completely split to they thought we messed up to they thought this is the greatest thing we had ever done. And we didn't even know as game masters what the developers, whether they had planned it or not, as of it actually happening. There was so much confusion on every level and every single possible take that you could imagine the players had from we had absolutely planned it and we thought they thought we were geniuses to this was the most game-breaking bug ever and it was going to destroy the game forever, forever after. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's just the fact that no one knew. I, I mean, I, I think it would be it would be hard as a development team to really come up with something that organically changes that way but like i don't know I, f- I feel like that might be like the the epitome of what a world event actually was like and it would have been it, it i mean it was so long ago that i don't really have a great a great recollection other than like everybody dying in capital cities of what it was but like it's it's just it's crazy that that's that's sort of the case 
that was there. Yeah, one thing is for sure, I don't think we're going to see anything quite like that in a video game again anytime soon. But if you are more interested in learning about the Zolgarub Plague, go ahead and jump on YouTube search it. There are tons of videos about this topic and they dissected everything from what happened from a player's perspective to Blizzard's response to even academic responses to it. And it just really speaks volumes to how much we can really learn from simulations and some of the things that they can teach us about human behavior and the different possibilities that happen when things like a spreadable plague happen or other natural disasters. Well, there's a there's a video game. Is it called Pandemic? I can't remember what it's called. It like the whole point of the game is to like infect the whole world. And you get to like choose where your virus starts and it's it, I, I think it's been used for like scientific studies as well. But I feel like um, I read I read an article at one point that one of the lead developers on the game itself they they played WoW during the time of that and they used that as one of the like I I don't think like lead ideas in creating this game but like it was definitely on their mind when they were making it and I don't know it's it's it is incredibly interesting that something that happened totally by accident in a video game has like such such real world application. Well, one of the reasons why I think it was particularly important that it happened in a game like World of Warcraft is because unlike a game where it's trying to spread a plague, World of Warcraft, you have an investment in your character. So the fact that there's this plague going around affecting your character is something that you had months probably at the very least of maybe even almost an entire year if you had been playing right from the start into the game already of investment that this plague was jeopardizing right there. Something that wasn't even when you went to sleep the night before was not even a risk for that to be to your character and all of a sudden is a reality. And that's just something that I don't think you can really replicate uh, you know, purposefully, it would be so difficult because it would have to, you know, it'd have to be almost like a planned troll in advance, you know, to create such an environment. Yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't know how. That's it's why I think it's it's one of the best, if not the best, examples of like a real world event in in a video game because you could, it wasn't planned, and I don't think you could you could design something to be that. And I think that was kind of an important piece of the, you know, quote unquote design or lack thereof is the fact that because it wasn't something that they had accounted for, it had player driven reaction to it that shaped the way everything happened, right? People were trying to quarantine, do all of these kinds of things, which then spurred the way that blizzards responded to it and viewed it and shaped it. And just really the, the whole aspect of why it was such a parallel to the real world because we as people do have visceral reactions to the things that happen to us just like we do with our warcraft characters i don't think we'll be seeing the zulgarub plague in wow classic but i'm definitely fascinated by the event and with the events going on right now there's been so much talk about it on the forums that it seemed like the perfect time to just take a look at really one of the most unique events that's ever hit MMOs and still to this day remains a fascinating facet of this game's history.
Next up on the show, we have an interview with the server's first High Warlord. Let's tune in with High Warlord Speak. All right, our next guest on the podcast needs no introduction. He was the first High Warlord on the server of Grobulus, a guild leader of the guild rival. Welcome to the show, High Warlord Speak. Hey, thanks for having me, Mal. Absolutely. Well, Speak, obviously, you being the first High Warlord on the server of Grobulus is a very exciting and distinctive title to hold. Tell us a little bit about what motivated you to get started in the grind and see it all the way through in the first place. Yeah, uh, so one of the the big reasons why I came back to play WoW, Classic WoW, was the PvP, specifically the World PvP aspect of the I didn't really have aspirations of going to rank 14 when I started out. Um, I was planning on going for 12 uh, and probably stopping there depending on what the rank was like. And basically when I got to rank 12, I didn't really feel burned out on the rank and I didn't feel burned out on the game. So I just kind of took it rank by rank after that. And for the most part, it was a really fun rank. Met a lot of really cool people, um, killed a ton of people and you know, that's kind of all I've been looking for in this game, so. I viewed the ranking system as a big piece of my vanilla experience and something that I was looking forward to in a certain sense, and of course dreading again too in another sense because I knew what kind of a grind that it was. One of the things that I found interesting about it though was each phase had a distinct different flavor. And you mentioned that the world PvP phase was a big one for you. Would you say, looking back at it, that that was your favorite part of the grind? Oh, yeah. Like, without a doubt. Um, one of the big reasons why we chose to roll on Grobulus is we thought that the community on the server, it being specifically it being an RP PvP server, there would, ha- there would be, a, like, a, a really distinctive kind of culture and feel and kind of namesake notoriety that went along with both pve and pvp um you know we thought it would be a good server to um allow ourselves to kind of immerse in again like the pvp and the pve so um one thing that i really enjoyed and something that most of the people i think pretty much everyone i pvp'd with in that world pvp phase really enjoyed was the kind of notoriety um, that would develop on both the Alliance and the Horde side, you know, familiar faces, um, a little friendly camping, a little friendly shit talking, you know, all of this kind of thing that was just so reminiscent of world PVP and distinctive about that phase. Um, so that, you know, carried on to a lesser extent in the battlegrounds, right? Like where you'd see familiar teams from familiar servers again and again, but, None of that really compared to what we enjoyed in the world PvP phase. Yeah, I definitely felt that same feeling of... I almost felt like it was an awakening for me, and I actually knew who my server was after the world PvP phase. And you started to know the different groups that were going to be roaming around. You were keeping tabs on where they were to either avoid or maybe go right after them, depending on how many people you might have been rolling with at the time. And it created a lot of interesting dynamic battles that, in my opinion, were best when they almost snowballed and got bigger and bigger and kind of 
created these chaotic environments that you didn't necessarily plan for going into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's something that I hope will continue to be a part of the server, even, you know, now we're in a different phase. We've got battlegrounds out, we've got a lot more raid content out. Um, you know, so, some people finish up their rank and, and maybe are taking a break from PvP and so on. But one of my hopes for this server is that that kind of atmosphere, that world PvP atmosphere is present throughout the entirety of Classic on the server. And so far, it hasn't been a disappointment to me, like not in the slightest. Like there have been points where I haven't been interested in PvP. Like after I finished my rank, you know, I'm sure you can comment on this and I bet you'd have a similar kind of perspective. But once you finish the rank, you know, you don't have to kill people in the open world. You don't have to kill the level 55 warrior that you like two shot or you three shot or that mage who just got back to his corpse. Like you don't have to kill him anymore. You know, you don't have to kill anyone. Like you're done with the rank. And so for a long time, weeks and weeks after I finished my rank, you know, I still was out in the world like farming stuff, but a lot of people just walk up to me and slash wave and, you know, do a friendly emote and I never had to touch them. You know, it's, it's nice to take a break, but I'll tell you what, it's really nice to come back as moral strike and just start gutting people like back in the old days, you know, just like a remorseless, you know, this is my territory, get out, you know, or walk back and res and, and then ride out kind of deal. Well, I think that's the beauty of a game like World of Warcraft, especially because the two factions share the same experience from a different perspective. So you gain a little bit of empathy, especially for the people that you see out in the world time and time again. But at the same time, you guys are at war and at any time that truce could be called off and the battle lines can be drawn. And I think that's one of the greatest parts about this game and why I still, after it being gone for 15 years, had it on my mind and wanted to come back to it was because of that dynamic that when you have when the two factions are at war, but they do have a little bit in common and you can still empathize and play with them and enjoy the fact that, yeah, you're rivals, but you can also still appreciate what they're doing on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. I like, I mean, that's in a nutshell kind of what I love most about world PvP is how unscripted and how dynamic it is, right? One day or one minute, you see an alliance kind of right up to you and kind of make some friendly emotes at you and you you wave at them and, you know, they go on their way, right? The next moment, that same guy and like two of his guildies are cheap shotting you, right? And it's okay. Add to kill on sight, add to kill on sight, add to kill on sight, pop a little recklessness, a little sweeping strikes. And uh, all right, now we know what's up, right? Like things can just change in a heartbeat and it's so different than, you know, like, Okay, well, it looks like we're going into AV again for the 50th time today. And, oh, look, it's a pre-made, right? Like, I'm here to just farm honor, so I'm just going to go off to the side here, try to pick some solo fights, and I'm just going to go for honor per hour. You know, like, world PvP is such a different thing than battleground PvP. Um, I mean, it's really nice to have both available, but during the world PvP phase, the game felt so different. Um, because of the unavailability of like battlegrounds, there was no escaping it, right? It's like what you 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 were just in the thick of it all the time. Well, I think what was an important part of it to me, at least, is 
This game is World of Warcraft, and for at least that one month, the server was at war. And there's certain scars that are probably never going to heal from that phase. And I think that's a good thing. It spurs rivalries till the end of the server because of that. There are still people that I remember in the World PvP phase that I will kick it up a notch if I see them in Battleground because I want those shit-talking rights at the end of the day. Let's be honest about it. We like to have those rivalries because that's what makes a war game fun at the end of the day. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I can completely uh, can com- completely empathize with that sentiment. I mean, even when we went into the Battleground phase, you know, the most memorable games weren't the ones against, like, you know, Feralina pre-mades or Herod pre-mades, you know, and Yes Master kind of players. It was the it was the Grobulus versus Grobulus games. That's when people really started to get serious. Like, no one really cares if you're winning or losing against other pre-mates. Yeah, you can feel good about it at the end of the day, but the only thing that really matters are the Grob versus Grob matches, you know? This is one of the things, um, since we're talking right here about the same server matchups, would you have preferred that there had just not been cross-server at all? Or do you think it maybe actually preserves a little bit of that rivalry because you're not just seeing the same team 10 or 15 times a day and maybe even getting to the point where one of them's trying to dodge? Yeah, so I guess if it were up to me entirely, I would have opted for a matchmaking system that gave some kind of priority to server versus server, but still allowed for cross-server queuing so basically like if there's a an alliance grob pre-made and a horde grob pre-made queued at the same time right along with say 10 or 20 or hundreds of other teams then try to match make and put server versus server when possible but don't slow down the queues for everyone and and limit the matchmaking to only allow server versus server i mean being able to queue cross server, it's like we definitely got a chance to play people that were on a completely different level. And that was really cool. Right. And so that's one of the nice things about having such a larger pool of players to to queue against. And then certainly, you know, having the ability to to play on off hours and um, you know, faster queue times. These are all things that I would really like to preserve. But, you know, if anything, I would like to have a greater frequency of server versus server matches but i like i i guess i mean in the end i I like the system as it was in terms of you know cross server and and stuff like this and dodging was a huge issue um the last few weeks of my rank like basically uh when warson gulch became meta but they i think pretty quickly fixed that i don't know if it's that much of an issue anymore yeah no it's no longer an issue because they changed being able to see who is on the other team until your team has fully joined. And that effectively killed it because you couldn't figure out which ones were the pre-mades and which ones weren't until you had everybody in there. So, all right, everybody's in here, so we may as well play a match. This was one of those things that, to me, even though it wasn't quote-unquote vanilla WoW, I still think it was just for the better of the game. It was frustrating getting pugs funneled into my pre-made that was really just only rank 12s and 13s like that wasn't fair yeah i really disliked the um the whole dodge culture um that was so prevalent in the first few weeks it seemed incredibly scummy to me to have pre-mades that you know not only were they not willing 
to have competitive matches, right? They would just dodge premades. They also subjected pugs to fight premades, which is, you know, it's just like a kind of double scum move. And as a player, like, it's just not fun at all. Like, to me, it's not fun to just pub stomp. That's not like, that's not really like what I'm looking for. If anything, I prefer a game that was close and that, you know, I, I lose, right? And have a chance to actually learn something rather than something where people literally just don't res, you know, and it's just like a six minute game or whatever. Yeah, I think the quality of life that I experienced in, say, Vanilla when we did start to get weeks and weeks into the grind, especially the closer that you would get to 14 and the more familiar you became with the people that were consistently playing against you, they would just kind of get to dodge much quicker or they would get to stop rezzing in the graveyard much quicker because we'd played each other 400 times already. We already know what the result is going to be. And in that regard, I remember a lot of low quality of life games back in vanilla that after the patch seemed to go away. There was a little bit more like sportsmanship type stuff, like first cap and things like that, that some people agree with and other people don't. But it at least gave that initial go out and fight and compete a little bit, which I think was important as opposed to just dodging. Yeah, one of the things that I kind of enjoyed, almost like an unspoken rule for a lot of those Warsong games that I played was, it seemed like a lot of teams would operate under the rule of, you know, fight, fight tooth and nail for that first flag cap. And if it's not a close, you know, if somebody is able to handily get that flag across and cap, you know, relatively easy, then you're just going to 9v10 brawl in mid. And whoever got the first cap is just going to run flags, the next two flags. If it was a close call, then maybe you keep duking it out. But if it was like a pretty clean first cap, then you just brawl it out in mid and it's a quick game. So people that were really serious about their honor power they still get in and out of the game. People get to farm HKs. You know, the, the quote-unquote losing team has an advantage in terms of they get to fight mid 10v9. And you still get some PvP in. And you don't get these really, really long, obnoxious turtle fests, which is pretty much, you know, something that pretty much everyone hates about Warsun Gulch is the possibility of, you know, triple Frost Mage, triple Hunter, Paladin Priest, eight-man turtle up ramp, you know, this kind of crap. You know, you just kind of avoid all of that nonsense entirely. That was something that seemed really prevalent when I was playing. Just, you know, this kind of brawl that ensued after first flag cap. Yeah, I would definitely say that culture persisted. Although I would say every week kind of had its different flavor because as... Each week happens, different people are achieving their goals and some people are coming and some people are going. Different teams are now presented different opportunities and are positioning differently and then playing differently as a result of that. And it's kind of funny to see the evolution. You'll almost see like some of those teams that are willing to fight for it a little bit more are going to be some of those like maybe rank 9, 10, 11, just about to hit the, you know, the ending ranks. Whereas you can see some of those rank 12 and 13 guys really want to get in and out of there, whereas they have a lot at stake at that point. For sure. And uh, I mean, that was one of the things that was like pretty important in terms of just like making sure everyone that's on a team is on the same page because, you know, it's it's one thing to be personally, I would prefer to play to win. But, you know, I can say that and not have to make any sacrifices now that I'm done with my rank. I mean, when I was ranking, I was playing for honor per hour, you know, especially and it's different. Every server is different with regards to. Um, what kind of honor caps they need to meet, or if their server even does honor caps. Like, obviously, if your server 
doesn't have any kind of agreements on honor caps, then if you're interested in ranking, you absolutely have to play for honor priority. You don't care about winning. Um, I don't like giving up, um, but you know, the whole rank is, is a lot more, it's like a loss of ego. You know, it's like, how many times do you die, you know, on a warrior, right? Like I've died, you know, as a warlord, as a high warlord to green frost mages, you know, it's not about like you being able to beat everyone. It's about you being able to finish the rank, right? Like anyone who's, who's gotten high rank knows that. And so it's like, by the time that you're queuing worse on Gulch, you know, and you're playing 16, 20 hours a day, it's not about winning. It's about finishing a rank, right? So, yeah, like I understand kind of both outlooks and I played with a bunch of people, like myself included, that would rather play for the win than play for the honor. But, you know, we all kind of have to make sacrifices on the rank. And so to that end, like I respect teams that want to play for the win and I respect teams that want to play for the honor, right? Like it, this game is like kind of whatever you want it to be. Um, and that's like part of what makes it so great. Yeah, I definitely agree. And there were times when my attitude about it shifted a lot too. Like I remember the first week, all I wanted to do was win. Every game was like, go, 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 go. As the weeks went on, my attitude definitely shifted about that though. And again, the closer that I got to the goal, even though winning was something that I still always enjoyed, I found that having to keep a neutral look, we got 16 hours of this a day to do. Let's try and keep this at least, you know, somewhat level is going to help me get through it better than, you know, having maybe just feeling like every single defeat was a crush. Because, you know, like you said, as a warrior, you're going to go in there and you're going to die to some ugly situations. And you're just going to have to kind of bite your ego about it and go, all right, next one. Let's go. We'll beat them next time. Absolutely. One of the things that I found was instrumental in our server getting honor caps set up was when you stepped in and started offering your two cents about some things that would improve some of the people's approach and really when i look back at it i look at high warlord speak as also sort of the high warlord or maybe the grandfather of the cap system on grobulus what would you say a little bit about the cap making system and the process that happened over the weeks and how it kind of shaped your ranking thoughts in the process good question man so I never really wanted to, as I'm sure pretty much, I mean, not very many people want to, you know, try to manage the chaos that is, you know, hundreds of people, you know, working in a system that all requires some amount of cooperation amongst people. Like no one, no one, not many people, I should say, really want to do that. I definitely did not want to do that. And I kind of try to avoid having to participate in that for a really long time. What eventually changed my outlook on that was necessity. It was my impression and it ended up being more or less the case that at higher ranks, in order to get any kind of reasonable amount of progress on a week by week basis, past like rank 11 or past rank 12, you really need to cooperate and coordinate with other people that are pushing for for that kind of rank. Before that, it wasn't very important to progression uh, for anyone's rank. You know, it didn't really matter if somebody was way ahead or way below in terms of how much honor they were earning. It wasn't until, like I said, people were hitting rank 11, rank 12, and, and so on and so forth that my eyes really became opened with regards to, 
Uh, I think one week I I earned 100k or 150k more honor than the next highest person, and that person got way less progress than I did, and that was like the first kind of eye opener I had to like, okay, this is not good. Like, I'm not trying to slow down anyone else's rank here, right? So if I can kind of keep ranking at the speed that I want to, and I can do that without ruining and wasting someone else's time, I want to do that. And so it wasn't until, again, like I was rank 11 or 12 that, that you know, that it occurred to me how, how important, you know, creating and maintaining caps would be. And to that end, it's the sort of thing where I knew that you couldn't really force people to go along with the system. You needed to have it be an opt-in thing. Um, I don't know. That's kind of my take on it. Well, what I thought was really important, because I was in a lot of those early meetings too, when we were just trying to get some of these caps together. And what I thought your guidance was extremely important was explaining that it did need to be opt-in and that we did need to make sure that people were basically taken care of by the system and weren't excluded by it. And if they did feel that way, they weren't beholden to it. And this was an attitude change that maybe people got the impression for from the earlier iterations of it that was, in my opinion, again, very instrumental in making sure that it eventually got off the ground and eventually got into the form that we have now where the community, I would say, is pretty darn cooperative with each other. Yeah, so... I guess one of the approaches that we did that was maybe a little bit different than before was we took the approach of, okay, it's a seven-day week. Um, What we could try doing is have people just grind as much honor as they possibly can for the first six days and then see kind of where everyone's at in terms of how much honor they've gained for that week on the seventh day. And then we can look at the top five or the top 10 or however many people and try to create a stack around those people rather than saying this guy deserves to be, you know, at this point, um, he deserves to be number one or whatever uh, at the beginning of the week, you know, basically just cut the seven day week into six days and then just stack on the seventh day. And it doesn't matter if you're a rank one guy um, or if you're like rank 12, like whoever's earning the most honor basically gets to determine whether or not they cap their honor and let other people catch up to them. I know that the first few weeks that we stacked, I wasn't the guy who had the most honor. Um, I was, you know, within reach, but I, you know, it were, it was lower ranked people that were willing to cap their honor and let, you know, five or 10 of us kind of catch up. And, you know, a system that said, Hey, look, the highest ranked people are going to, are going to get the highest standings this week. That would have never worked um, from the very start because there's always going to be people who are late to start up and they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to have to cap their honor low, right? They want to be able to play as much as they want. And, you know, who's to say they're any less deserving than somebody else if they're willing to put in the time and, and farm the honor. Yes. And this is one of the things, too, where not everybody is necessarily going to be on the same timeline, right, too. Sometimes people have breaks from work. They have a certain period of time when, all right, this is going to be my go time. This is going to be my weeks when I need to play extra hard because I have the availability to do it. There's a lot of different ways to go about the rank system. And an all-inclusive approach was exactly what I felt the Horde side needed at that time. And 
Every week after that, I felt like more and more people got involved and we were able to refine the situation a little bit more. And, you know, it's since evolved now that the metas have shifted multiple times and we're now on to a, a double meta shift this week, even with uh, all, uh, Arathi Basin coming out and then the holiday weekends there this weekend. But we've gotten more of kind of a systematic approach to it now, whereas before the approach that you had suggested was, I think, perfect for the time that we were at and what was important to getting the people that wanted to rank their ranks. I know me personally, even though I wasn't occupying a top spot for a lot of those times, I was usually getting a bracket 13 spot. It left me in a position to eventually jump up a bracket and then achieve my goal. Right. And a lot of people have kind of talked about how backwards and esoteric and just poorly designed, like the classic rank system you know they're absolutely right like it's just a it's it's very toxic you know unintuitive uh, mess of a system really where again people that earn like significantly more honor than other people they don't even really benefit um they just hurt other people and so you have this system where it's like there's this kind of necessity for blind trust and that people will kind of earn similar amounts of honor in order to help everyone. Like the guy who farms a bunch of honor, it's not like he's going to hit rank 14 any faster. All he does is make it take longer for other people, which is, I mean, it's just, it's really awful. Um, but it's basically the system where it's like, you need to have cooperation. Otherwise, you know, a lot of people are going to get upset and it's going to take a lot longer for everyone else. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's an absolute mess. Um, so, I mean, at the end of the day, I think there's very few people that are interested in, in upsetting other players. Like, I think most people play this game for their own personal, um, which is not to say that they're willing to make sacrifices for other people's like happiness but it's like there's not very many people that are playing this game with a primary purpose of upsetting other people and so you know if if you're able to use a system that offers some kind of incentive for people to cooperate and you're able to explain to them why them cooperating will actually benefit them right? By pushing more people through the system, by allowing them to farm less honor and all this kind of thing, then a lot of people will be interested. It's when you start telling people, hey, if you want to rank, you're going to have to do this. When you start telling people what they have to do and what they can't do, I mean, you pretty much guarantee that people are going to get pissed off and rightfully so. And the system that we used uh, pretty much prevented that kind of thing from happening. I mean, for the most part, like it was very much like an opt-in system um and so people that wanted to stack were able to stack and people that you know didn't want to stack didn't really have to and they weren't you know blacklisted by the community one of the things that i found helped maybe get the uh kind of usher the point across would be explaining to people what the benefit was for them to stack it doesn't really matter what you know like you said at the end of the day they're not necessarily out here to help me or you get our rank, but they are not necessarily, they don't want to prevent me or you from getting it. They want to know how they fit into the equation and how they can get to where they want to get as quick as possible. And usually in a lot of cases, if that point can get across, you'll find that they're going to be a lot more willing to join in with that. And at the end of the day, you know, you're absolutely right. This system 
really the only way to make any heads or tails of it is to get some level of cooperation going. And if you can't do that, you're going to be in for a pretty rough grind. But if you can do that, I, you know, it can be manageable and it can maybe not destroy your life the way it could potentially if it was completely unmoderated. Yeah. And for the, you know, for the start of the grind and for the start of a lot of people's grinds when AV was meta, on Horde side, there was no like hard requirement to, to cooperate and participate with other people because group queuing wasn't a thing. And that's, you know, a difference. That was a, probably one of the biggest differences between the Horde and Alliance rank meta back then. Um, so people that wanted to just do their own thing and not cooperate with other people, um, that was fine because it was just a solo queue meta. They didn't have to cooperate with people if they didn't want to. Now that the meta is, you know, group queue, like pre-made Gulch, and I mean, you can even pre-made AV, right? Like pretty much like solo queue is not like the ideal way to farm honor. You can still grind solo queue, but now you can farm a lot more honor by group queuing. Now there is a very serious reason for people to want to cooperate, even if they you know, didn't have to before. So just for the last thing I want to touch on regarding the ranking system, looking back at it now at some of the different phases that you've had, which would you say is the best meta to have for the rankers personally? Like if you're trying to get from one to 14, which is the most favorable one to have? And also, for what it's worth, which one was the most fun out of them? I think I know the answer for that. Right. So it's hard for me to speak on behalf of like all all rankers, right? But I would say in general, one of the things that you really look to have if you're trying to rank is a cooperative kind of structure, i.e. one that allows and, and, uh, and rewards group queuing. So to that end, I would say, you know, it doesn't matter if it's worse on Gulch or Rathi Basin or even like five-man AV. Any kind of meta that allows you to benefit from group queuing is preferable if you're trying to rank because that kind of meta will encourage people to cooperate and you need cooperation for ranking, basically. So that, I mean... I most of the people that I ranked with, um, a lot of them actually stopped ranking uh, when Battlegrounds came out because for Horde side, that was, you know, basically it was just solo QAV meta, which was really, really unfun for people. Um, a lot of people that I knew that were interested in doing a rank in vanilla, they were looking forward to and they were expecting a Warsong Gulch meta. And so personally, that's what I was looking forward to. And that's, you know, I enjoyed that meta quite a bit. Um, because it was like, you know, look, you're going to take your team and you're going to play other good teams and it's going to come down to who has the best team, right? The people that have the best team are going to be the top bracket holders. Um, and that was to, you know, a certain extent true. Personally, my favorite my favorite meta was the world PvP um, phase. Part of that is because, again, it was like a group-based thing. Like, I'm playing a warrior. Like, I hate solo PvP. I don't like dual. Um, I'm just about, you know, group PvP. I love it, especially the the open world, you know, just dynamic nature of it. Um, so that's kind of what, what my interest was in, and that's what I had the most fun doing. Yeah, I'd say for PvP and ranking, anything that's group-oriented is, you know, that's, that's the only kind of option for a somewhat sane rank experience for anyone.
Let's uh, switch gears here to the warrior class for a moment. You had mentioned before on the podcast that you had done your grind with the mace spec. Um, would you mind uh, just shedding a little bit of light on that spec, uh, your transition to sword spec after getting rank 14, and if you would maybe have preferred a different weapon or if this was the right one for the grind? Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's basically only one, you know, there's only one, like, real spec for, for PvP for Warrior. In my, in my opinion, you pretty much have to play Mortal Strike. In terms of, you know, what weapon spec is preferable, I was mace spec, not by choice, but by necessity. I didn't have, I used an Earthshaker um, before I got an Unstoppable Force. And um, I never got like an OEB or a BRE or a Spinal or anything like that. I'd say that, you know, a lot more important than what weapon you're using is what kind of consumes you roll with. I'm an engineer, so pretty much always had grenades on me. You know, like in the open world, especially like I was using 20 to 40 free action potions a day. Um, Going into PvP phase, I had over 600 Whipper Root Tubers in my bank. You know, I had major healing potions, just just all kinds of consumes. Um, you know, that's that's one of the big things about classic PvE and PvP is consumes and, um, you know, hitting your cooldowns, right? Like recklessness is up every 30 minutes. Um, so, you know, outside of like spec and everything else, like honestly, one of the biggest determinants in PvP is what kind of consumes you bring to the game and cooldown management, right? Like there's a lot of fights that you would never be able to win without hitting recklessness, but you hit recklessness and it doesn't even matter if you're Fury or Fury Prot or Mortal Strike, like you can pull a win. Whereas you wouldn't be able to pull a win even if you're High Warlord, Mortal Strike spec, but didn't have recklessness. Um, So that's kind of how I feel about that. Um, Another thing too is like, just make make the most out of whatever you have, right? So I had an unstoppable force, and so when it came to solo PvP, it was a lot like, well, um, you know, stacking Stam is huge on a warrior in solo and group PvP. So yeah, I'm not going to do crazy burst. I don't have sword spec. I don't have a rag weapon, but I have a bunch of HP. You know, I can make use of healing potions. I can make use of bandages. Um, and, you know, in some cases I can just outlast some people. Um, you know, Mace Stun can really extend a fight. Um, you know, it's like you, you, you don't have the burst of like a spinal reaper or like a BRE, but sometimes you're just going to get lucky and you're just going to get mace stun after mace stun. And I've had people actually hit free action potions against me, you know, cause you've got mace stun and you've got the unstoppable force, which is a stun. And, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where you can, you know, sometimes you'll just RNG beat somebody because you just get a bunch of stuns. Uh, that being said, now that I have a sword, like, yeah, holy, holy heck, I really wish I had a sword for the entire rank because sword spec can just delete people. Like, I used ham, uh, Hand of Justice for most of my rank. Um, so, you know, that thing would proc sometimes. And yeah, it's, yeah, sword spec is just a crazy amount of burst damage. It gives you extra rage. Um, it's, it's just crazy. Like, burst damage is what kills people and pvp um you know sustained damage isn't so that's where you know sword spec and even axe spec is like a clear it's a clear choice over mace because mace done when it procs it doesn't do any extra damage it it only extends the fight so 
Yeah, and especially now I feel that the emphasis really is about trying to wrap the fight up, right? Get to the end result as quickly as possible is really a theme that I think is part of PvE and PvP, especially with the way we load up on consumes and things like that. I was very fortunate. I got to do at least the second half of my grind with the Spinal Reaper. But I got to say, stepping up to the High of Warlord sword was a little bit like going from a, a nice car to like a high-octane sports car. Yeah, I only did like um, about a week of like quote-unquote serious PvP after I hit rank 14 before I respect her raid spec. Um, but it was, I mean, it was like I was playing a, a completely different game to be honest, like I went from, you know, on a, on a lucky round being able to take like a mage to half. I, that turned into me being able to just one round geared mages. If I got, you know, good RNG, um, it, it you know, it's, it's, it's actually, it's just, it's, it's completely unfair, right? Like having a high warlord weapon at this stage in the game, it's completely busted. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know what more I can really even say about it. It's, you know, it's phenomenal. It's, I mean, one of the big reasons why I pushed for High Warlord at the end was so I could get a two-hander. Like, I play tank in raids, and then I PvP a lot, but I didn't want to take two-handers away from um, our DPS warriors. And so, you know, even, like, my guild has never seen a BRE. My guild's never seen a Spinal Reaper. We've never seen a two-hander out of Blackwing Lair. Um, so, I mean, you know, the best two handers our warriors have is, uh, OEB right now. And I wouldn't, you know, it's like, I wouldn't, uh, take the first BRE, um, and I wouldn't take the first spinal. Um, so, you know, big part of the reason why I did the rank is so I could get myself a two hander. Um, another big part of the reason I did the rank is so I could get, you know, pretty much a full set of PVE gear and not have to take like chromatic boots or Drake Tom pauldrons or, you know, like any of this gear too. But but yeah, I mean, I'd say sword spec is absolutely devastating on a warrior. It gives you crazy burst damage potential. Um, and in like kind of a more general sense, going high warlord on a war on a warrior or a rogue is amazing because it's not like you're just getting one weapon, right? Like you get all of the weapons. You know, I use sometimes I use daggers. Um, well, I used to use daggers quite a bit. Uh, now I mostly use quick blades. Um, for tanking, if I was DPSing, I'd be using the axes. Like, you know, of course, you can comment a lot on this, too. Like, I use a two-hand sword for PvP. If I was two-handing in PvE, maybe I'd use a two-hand axe. Um, you know, I use the shield. Um, I use all the armor for tanking. I, I use basically just one set of gear. Like, this, you know, on a warrior or on a rogue, going high warlord is, you know, it's the play. Like, if you have the time for it, like, you're going to benefit from all of those weapons. Rogues, obviously, they... They can use the daggers, they can use the swords, even if they're dagger spec, they can still have a really nice sinister strike weapon. Um, it's just like, it's it's insane at this stage in the game, having access to all of those weapons. Yeah, and one of the things that's kind of fun too, is like, you can kind of shift with your moods, sort of like you said, 
if you feel like being a dagger warrior for that day, that's, you know, your choice. If you're a rogue and you want to be swords and you normally play daggers, you can do that. If you want to throw maces on just for the hell of it, if you want to RP with the book on, that's your choice. The cool thing about the grind, you know, when you get to the end of it is you get a lot of good toys that are going to be good for a long time and classic WoW and will always be iconic in my eyes. You mentioned a little bit about your approach to your guild and kind of looking at this from a PVE standpoint. I did a little bit the same thing too. We had a little bit different luck. It wasn't so much with the weapons. We, you know, we were pretty fortunate with weapons, but there were a lot of warrior pieces that were scarce early on. And I really appreciated the idea that, hey, I'll have all this gear and then the warrior gear that does drop will be passed along to everybody else in the raid. Is this an approach that you kind of promote in your guild? So it's not necessarily an approach that like I I advocate to other people, but for me it was a significant part of the reason. I mean, first and foremost, like I did this rank for myself. Like I didn't do it for my guild. But I recognized even before I started that this is all gear that I'll use like up until um, AQ. And, and I could still use it in AQ to great effect too. It's not like I, you know, if I get this gear, I don't need gear until, you know, a really long time. And so what that does mean is all this gear, like similar gear that drops in Blackwing Lair or MC and AQ and stuff like this, this is, you know, as, as a main tank, like, you know, you need a lot of gear, but if I can, if I can just gear myself, then this is gear that I can pass to a bunch of other people. So I don't really try to tell other people how to play the game, but as one of the leaders of our guild, you know, this was an important thing for, for me to do, right? Like I see this as being like, you know, maybe my guild hasn't gotten a BRE, but we have gotten the High Warlord, Greatsword. You know, maybe we've only gotten one pair of Drake Talon Pauldrons, but we have Warlord shoulders, right? So this is gear that my guild has gotten. Um, and this helps us to, to progress. I mean, progression isn't um, particularly difficult in this version of WoW, or hasn't been that difficult for us. But, you know, it's like it feels good to me to feel like I've contributed to helping my guild progress um, simply by PvPing, right? I do a lot of other things to, you know, try to help my guild uh, and help my guild progress. But it's really cool when you can do something like PvP and you get these kind of secondary benefits like that was that was very appealing that was a very appealing part of the rank to me and it's something that you know i'm i'm it, it didn't i i don't feel any kind of regret or disappointment it, this is like contributed um like this gear is so much better than than i even thought it would be to be honest um so i'm really happy that i went through that great there by the way the fact that i can basically function is like a backup tank that just straight up in my fury spec is pretty incredible and the uh issue of topping the meters is never there anymore i am doing almost too much damage it feels like at times i almost feel like i gotta slow down um with that being said with all of this gear um, that you've had in the last couple of weeks and is have you noticed a difference in terms of like your guild's ride through the dungeon is it made it that much easier is it made it that much smoother yet i i'd say yeah probably um in terms of like are we talking about 40 man content i guess um 
or just like in general whatever content that you guys really tackle as a guild like what would you say would be you felt on like the five-man level have you felt anything different on the 40-man level too yeah so i mean yeah five mans it's you know it's insane um you know i mean you can definitely like hard carry as a warrior in a five man right where it's just one healer one you know one dps tank and then you can bring in a bunch of people that are in even level 60 and you're still clear strat in like 30 minutes like even with you know level 55s and stuff right like it's just you become an absolute monster in a five man so long as you've got one healer so that's definitely a thing um in 40 man content Again, like I play, um, I'm one of our tanks in 40 mans. So like we notice, like, yeah, there's like a massive threat bonus, um, you know, having high warlord gear. Um, we don't have a Thunder Fury yet. So on fights like Valastraz or, or Broodlord or even some of like the, the Drakes, um, you know, where you've got, I mean, our, a lot of DPS players in my guild like to come to raid with a bunch of world buffs and full consumes and all this kind of thing. So, you know, it's it's a constant struggle, especially without having a Thunder Fury tank to push um, the amount of threat that allows our DPS players to go like all out. Um, so we've definitely noticed like a big improvement there. Very cool. Speaking of your guild, uh, Rival has left its mark on both the PvP and PvE side. Is there uh, anything you'd like to say on behalf of your guild? Maybe shout them out. Anything you guys have coming up that's uh, going on that you guys want to talk about? Yeah. So, I mean, we're we're we absolutely love the server. We've been here since day one. Uh, we're happy to be a part of the server and part of like, you know, the PVE and PVP scene here. Um, you know, our guild is always recruiting people, pretty much every class We're a single raid team guild. Um, we're actually a PVE focused guild, but we do have quite a few um, quote unquote hardcore PVPers, um, a few role players, this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I'd just like to give a shout out to everyone in my guild, the leaders, of Rival as well, Blink and Somnus, um, for, I mean, creating uh, and maintaining a really fun and semi-serious uh, guild in, in Classic WoW. It's been a, a tremendous amount of fun. Um, but I'd also like to just give a shout out to, to Grob at large, Alliance players and Horde, because um, this is the only server I've played on in Classic, but I have no doubts that it's uh, one of the best servers in Classic WoW. Well, awesome. Thank you very much, Speak. Is there anything you would like to leave us with before we finish up? Not too much, Mal. I appreciate you inviting me to come on the show. I had a really good time. Um, hopefully, I'll see some of you guys out in uh, the open world. If you're Alliance, please don't hesitate to attack me or wave at me if that's your thing, depending on what mood I'm in and perhaps what spec I am at the time. Uh, maybe I'll greet you with a wave or uh, an intercept mortal strike. Um, you know, feel free to reach out if you're interested in learning more about our guild or if you have any questions or if you're just interested in a little good, uh, a little good shit talking. I don't mind any of that either. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Speak. It was an honor and I will definitely see you out in the open world because I will 
have no issue getting those uh, High Warlord weapons dirty. Thank you once again for coming on. High Warlord speak. Thanks again, man. All right, always great to talk to somebody like Speak who's been a part of our server for such a long time and a big congratulations to him and the Guild of Rival. Once again, big thank you, Speak. But let's now take a look at what's going on on our great server of Grobulus. And let me tell you, Myth, this week is popping. We got a lot going on. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've already seen a couple of things myself. Uh, not to mention, so like... Versintorx put out his his Grand Marshal PvP video today, uh, or you know, if you're listening to this Sunday, just a few hours ago. So that's a good watch. I mean, what else? What else we got going on? Yeah. So big one that I saw this week that's not only making its waves on the Grobulus subreddit, but the WoW Classic subreddit as well. What, as far as I know. WoW Classics first all dwarf molten core clear has happened. And let me tell you, this is absolutely incredible. Think about what that entails. No mages, no druids. This one is, you got to see it to believe it. And huge congratulations to the dwarves of Grobulus that have participated in this absolutely incredible feat. I got to say, you guys are legends. I'm impressed. That just the problem solving that must have had to have gone into figuring out what they needed to do to compensate for the class composition that they would have had to use. Super cool. Yeah. I mean, no decurse. That would have been rough. You don't have the druid buff. I mean, you do have both priests and paladins, so that's at least decent. But uh, yeah, it would have been a, a very interesting thing to see, and congrats on, on making it happen. Yeah, this is a huge, you know, huge moment in the victory lap for them right now, for sure. And again, guys, huge congratulations. It's always fun to see the dwarves out at the RP events, but they definitely got a special swagger now that they've gotten the big fire lord of Ragnaros down, let me tell you. Another big one to mention that's coming up on the server of Grobulus, OG Jeffrey has got a dual tournament coming to Grobulus. So if you are interested, uh, get to the Grob subreddit for information on how you can sign up and there is going to be a gold pot and a lot of other things. But these dueling tournaments are becoming more and more popular. So if you are interested in this type of action, OG Jeffrey has got one for you. And to my understanding, he'll be doing a live shoutcast of it throughout the entire event. So this could be uh, quite the event on Grobulus. Yeah, uh, I heard there was going to be a pr an actual prize too, which is pretty cool. Very cool. So big shout out to OG Jeffrey. I'm uh, thinking of participating myself, getting a, I'll have to take a look at the rules and make sure I don't get anything that's not going to be necessary for the battle, but I definitely going to need to come prepared for a battle like that. I know some of the server's strongest battlers are going to be there for sure. And we had a dual tournament just a few weeks ago that happened that was put on on the Horde side, so I'm sure we're going to see a little bit of crossover from that as well. One more uh, shout out. We had mentioned Grob Chella earlier, but we will be having... Salem and Black Plague from 
Grobchella on the show next week, so make sure you are there to catch that. They will be joining us to talk about all the festivities. I'm excited for Grobchella because it is going to be the next big event since the Ceremony of the Wild Gods, and I'm interested to see what's going to be different, some of the different flavors that are going to be happening here. And I'm going to have to get a new uh, RP suit to, for that as well, I think, with the change of scenery in Booty Bay. Yeah, I mean, you you also, th- at this time, have at least a little bit more time to spend during the RP event instead of grinding on her. So that should also be nice. Yeah, I carved out a little bit of extra time last time, but this will be nice where I'll be able to just enjoy from start to finish and really get myself there early and get a good seat and just kind of immerse myself in everybody that shows up for this great event. It'll be a exciting one to see in a rowdy place like Booty Bay, but with all that they have planned, I don't really want to spoil anything. I want Salem and Black Plague to say it, so we'll have them on next week to spill everything that's going to be going on and some of the plans that haven't been announced yet. Another video that we have two of them actually, the No Trees Wotop World PvP video. This one is a little different style. We have a lot of 1v1 videos, solo PvP videos. This one is group PvP. We're talking taking out world buffs. We're talking getting people at Black Rock Mountain. If you're thinking maybe something a little bit like some of these large-scale hurricane, but on the Horde side, check this one out. Awesome video, and that one made its way on the WoW subreddit last week. They also have a second video, and I'm doing this one a little bit off the top of my head, but I believe this one is about getting the Hand of Ragnaros. Also check this one out, a little bit more on the RP side of things, but another great video from the guys over at Wotop. I also watched the No Trees video on top of the Verse video. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. And again, it was fun. It was a different take. It was more of that raid-on-raid combat that is also a fun part of the dynamic of Classic WoW, right? It's obviously, it's very frustrating when it happens to you, but it sure is a lot of fun to watch it happen to somebody else. And you get a lot of that enjoyment. And especially if you're a member of Grobulus, you might even catch a familiar name or two losing a world buff that um, maybe you wanted to see paid back yourself. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just sort of harkens back to, like, the Phase 2 launch when it was more, much more world PvP focused, and it, it, I mean, even though it hasn't been that long since Battlegrounds came out, it's still nice to, like, look back at the, the big group PvP versus big group PvP. Well, they think it's something that, especially as more people hit their goals in ranking, as we get closer to people achieving what they wanted to do in the battlegrounds, we're going to see more and more of this crop up because as the game goes on, these rivalries still exist. That boredom is going to set in and fighting the other faction is still going to be one of the great joys that vanilla World of Warcraft can do. I almost think it's one of the things about the honor system rolling in that I don't like is because of dishonorable kills, we actually miss out on some of the best forms of that, like the city leaders when we get big city raids going on. I haven't done a city raid in a long time. I forgot those things used to even be a thing. 
And they were a big thing, especially for groups like Hurricane, who were coming into Orgamar regularly. This was part of our reality pretty consistently, I would say, during phase one. But with the addition of dishonorable kills, it's gonna be a little while until we get back to people being in that free flowing, not too worried about what happens with their honor style of world PVP. Uh, really just anywhere on Grobulus or any other server, just because of just how many people are still working on their grinds and have rewards to get. But hopefully one day we'll get back to a place where uh, dishonorable kills are no big deal and we're going to get back to some of those city raids going again. I'd like to see it. By the way, one thing I'd like to mention regarding that Torx video that if you didn't catch the premiere, it is up on the Grob subreddit. I am uh, featured in the video, a lot of great duels for me, as well as many of the other high-ranked duelers and players on the server of Grobulus. So definitely go check that one out if you've been following those videos. And it's just a cool cap, um, you know, to a grind well done. And it's been kind of different fun to just see the different styles that people have had during their grind. You know, we had Speak on earlier to talk a little bit about his grind. We have Versingetorx modeling his through his videos. And it's just kind of a fun way to see that the grind is a journey and how it's affected different people's approach to the game. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's going to be similar for most people, but there there will definitely be intricacies that like each person brings to the title. Because I mean, it just takes it takes so much out of you. Well, because no two people are going to be getting it at the same time, because there's sort of a list or a line almost to it at a certain point, especially because of the way rank points will certainly start to break out over time. It makes everybody's story a little bit unique and the motivation to keep up with it a little bit different. I know I definitely plan on chronicling my journey through a YouTube video as well as through this show, but it's still going to take me a little bit of time to piece all of that together. Because uh, like you mentioned, everybody's journey is a little bit different, and I definitely feel like on mine there's some parts of it that didn't even really have anything to do with killing other players that were important parts of the grind and were equally parts of the grind. All right, well, I think that's all we have going on on the server of Grobulus today. Is there anything else that caught your attention, Myth? I'm really looking forward to Arathi Basin weekend next week. Hopefully you can get a bunch of rep there. I don't expect to get exalted in one week. I'm sure there are some people who are close, if not already exalted, because of how crazy their 15-man their pre-mades have been, but... I'm really just looking forward to some fun, faster cues in Arathi Basin. Definitely looking forward to that. Another quick shout out. I don't have a lot of details on this event, but Grantino's Casino and Offshore Gambling Event 316. This is tomorrow. This is going to make it out before I get this up on the Reddit but just shouting this out right here, if you're looking for a little offshore gambling, maybe you're a little sick of the fake death rollers in town, maybe take this away from the jurisdiction of the Game Masters. Not actually out of the jurisdiction of the Game Masters, but for role-playing purposes, it's outside the jurisdiction of the Game Masters and get your gambling done there. That sounds like a kind of a little fun take on just some of the stuff that 
makes Grobulus a little bit of fun, right? A little bit of offshore gambling going on. And uh, once again, we've been shouting this out for the last few weeks. Shout out to the GDKP groups that are doing it. Final Boss, Dawnbreakers. Um, we did the, in now, new and improved, one day Blackwing Layer GDKP with improved pot payouts. It was pretty fun. It was nice to see the progress and it was nice to uh, make some good money in the Blackwing Layer this week. Yeah, I, I myself both made some decent money and came out with some, some decent loot. And I would also recommend to anybody that maybe can't make those times, you're looking for something maybe a little different day of the week or something like that, GDKP is a great solution to getting a lot of different groups together. And whether you're looking to spend some gold on some items or make some gold, there's something for you out of GDKP. I highly recommend either getting in on one or getting one off the ground on your own because they are a lot of fun. It is definitely my preferred method for my alts when it comes to doing a raid at this point. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It's nice. You make a little bit of money, and then sometimes you spend a little bit of money. Like, I, I it's just, it's lovely. The other thing that was kind of cool, too, is we're starting to run into people that we don't always get to group with or maybe we haven't grouped with for a while because we're kind of all there for that common thing, right? We either want to spend some money or make some money, and the GDKPs are a great place to do that. All right. Well, that's all we've got today on today's show. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. As a reminder, please like and subscribe on SoundCloud on YouTube. I haven't gotten all of the episodes up on YouTube lately, but I will be working on backlogging a lot. So if you haven't been checking these out on YouTube lately, I'll be putting these up on the subreddit. Please like and subscribe there. It really helps me out and the show. Also do the same thing on SoundCloud if you haven't done that yet. I appreciate it. If you want to hit us up in game, you want to talk about something or hear us talk about something, let us know on Reddit. Let us know in-game because we want to know about it. All right. Thank you once again for listening. That's all that we've got this week. We'll catch you again next week. We're good. Okay. I'm going to dip for a bit.